3: Hello, I'm Lee James, host of Sports World on the BBC World Service. For the best of previews to the sporting weekend, listen to George Ado Jr. on The Locker Room on Joy 99.7 FM.
4: Live on radio, live online, this is The
5: Locker Room on Joy 99.7 FM with George Addo Jr. Midweek football proved pivotal
6: in key title races in Europe and a special weekend of games that may mean less will follow. In Italy, the champions have been crowned. Napoli found the point they needed and more in their game against Udinese to be crowned champions for a third time in their history in Serie A. We have in-depth analysis on the road to victory ahead. Bayern Munich are back top of the Bundesliga with Dortmund chasing again. We will have a full preview to games to come in Spain where Barcelona are close to winning the Liga and in France where the superstar has been driven out. Messi set to lead Paris Saint Germain, but not until the end of the season. We have League R preview and a big look into the English Premier League title race, currently controlled by Manchester City and their EPL new goal scoring king.
7: Haaland's Haaland through on
0: goal. 2 0 City. Hat to be. Haaland doesn't miss those. And now he becomes the first player in history to hit
3: 35 goals in a season and the Blues lead by two goals to nil and you have to say it's Haaland's first real chance he's swallowed yeah, it up terrific movement
6: yes Ellen Haaland with the most goals scored in a single Premier League season we'll preview all games to come Sergio Perez drove a consummate race with the help of a safety car to beat Red Bull teammate Max Verstappen and win the Azerbaijan Grand Prix up next is the Miami Grand Prix and we have a preview Time to talk about what the world was talking about in the world of sport. Hello from me, George Addo Jr. And welcome to The Locker Room. Live on radio, live online.
3: This is The Locker Room with George Addo Jr.
6: A big thank you to you all for staying with us on The Locker Room. Enjoy 99.7 FM and for all of you listening to us around the world, we're simply excited to come your way with a super pacey preview to the sporting weekend to come. We're always interactive via our social media accounts, and as well, you can head on to our WhatsApp number. But of course, we have to begin the action tonight, and we begin with Formula One.
5: And Formula
3: One is underway on the streets of Baku. Good reaction time for Verstappen, but it's Charles Leclerc who maintains the lead into turn one. The top three are, as they were, going through Sainz in fourth. Hamilton is vulnerable to Fernando Alonso diving to the inside. It has been a phenomenal performance from Sergio Perez. The street fighter's done it again. Sergio Perez wins in To take his sixth career victory, to beat his teammate.
6: For the second time in history, the Miami Grand Prix will be run this weekend, with the stars expected to once again be on show in the stands up and down the track. Red Bull Sergio Perez will be looking to continue his fine form after taking the checkered flag last time out in Azerbaijan and his teammate Max Verstappen will be hoping to return to winning ways and will be aiming to make it back-to-back wins on the circuit which runs in the shadows of Hard Rock Stadium. So let's get a bit of perspective ahead of this one and we're joined by our Formula 1 expert, Raymond Yamada. Thanks Raymond for a time on the show as always. Red Bull have gone full throttle so far this season. It's just ones where they had not had the one-two in the season. Obviously, uh, they're ahead of the rest in the grade in terms of performance. So the key to look out for is from within Sergio Perez and Max Verstappen. The Italian has won three of the four races Red Bull have prevailed, setting up a really good intra-team competition. Is this sustainable though?
8: Well, I think that for Red Bull, they definitely come out as the team to beat the season. And you look at how they've been performing, they have been dominant. I think that they've not left any stone and in the course of the season. And you put it down to the brilliance of both drivers. You talk about Max Verstappen and you talk about Sergio Perez. These are very credible drivers, very formidable drivers who themselves go into every race weekend believing that they can win races on their own. And so I think that um, in terms of the sustainability of their form, I think that they could go all the way. And you look at the performance of both drivers, they have been consistent. You could talk about the fact that uh, Max Verstappen has been a bit more consistent than Sergio Perez. But I think that in the course of this season, Sergio Perez has started the season all guns pleasing he wants to um stick a claim for himself as not being the wingman or not being the other driver but the main man as well so i think that you know it's quite sustainable the kind of form they are in and that intra-team competition it's quite sustainable uh, looking at the form of both drivers and the consistency of both drivers now you also ask a very important question about you know the vibe in the team as to whether you know, that it has the potential to ruin the good vibe. I think that for both drivers, Max Verstappen and Sergio Perez, they have a troubled relationship. And it goes as far back as what happened in Brazil. Uh, Last season, when uh, Max Verstappen clearly decided not to take a team order to allow Sergio Perez to go past him. I think that when Sergio Perez was chasing second place that season, it was quite clear what Max Verstappen did hurt his compatriots. And so, um, There seems to be a strain in that relationship And we all know that Max Verstappen Is not, you know, someone who loses races And is happy about it He's a sour loser, if I may put it that way He's not somebody who is excited losing races And especially losing to his teammate Sergio Perez Makes it even more difficult And so I think that the relationship is strained Uh, I think that Red Bull have managed it very well to this extent But I think that it's a matter of when, rather than if, it's going to escalate into something else. I think that we saw that with Mercedes when Nico Rosberg and Louis Hamilton had a go at each other in 2016 and we all know how that relationship panned out. I think that we're going to see a bit of that with Team Red Bull, but Let's not take anything away from them. If both drivers are competitive, and it almost looks like both drivers are competing against themselves rather than the chasing back, I think that if they continue that consistency, well, it will take some stopping for Red Bull. It will take a lot to actually stop Red Bull this season. So for me, I think that we might see Red Bull continue their dominance. And I think that um, the, 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 the vibe between Max Verstappen and Sergio Perez, well, it could take quite some fixing.
6: Ray, from the One returns to Miami for only the second time. And in all of the debates on how to rope in the American viewers, the most popular suggestion has been to get in an American driver. Cue in Logan. Despite being a Florida native, he will be racing in the USA as an F1 driver for the very first time. What have you made of his breakout season?
8: Certainly not a sport where we've seen the Americans dominate. I think that uh, if you look at the Americans, you could go as far back as the 60s and talk about uh, Dan Gurney who drove for Porsche, uh, Brabant and Eagle in the 60s. Then you also talk about one of their most successful drivers, Mario Andretti, who was an Italian, uh, but, you know, left Italy very early for the United States of America. He actually won their last Grand Prix in 1978, the Dutch Grand Prix. He has been one of their most successful drivers uh, as far as Formula 1 is concerned. Uh, You also talk about uh, Phil Hill, who was an F1 champion in 1961. You know, these are some of the drivers you can talk about. You also talk about in recent times where uh, we saw Alexander Rossi uh, driving for Mano Racing in 2015. And even before him, we saw uh, Scott Speed driving for Toro Rosso. These are drivers who never really showed a lot of consistency. Talking about the last two, never really showed any form. And so um, it was quite difficult, you know, looking at the Americans and feeling that they really, you know, take the sport very serious. But I think that um, Logan Sargent comes in uh, for Team Williams with a lot of inexperience. He's inexperience, and you look at the fact that his first real race, as far as driving for Formula One, came when he actually took part in practice in the USGP in 2022 and in four races this season has not picked any point and it clearly tells you that um, despite the fact that he's been talked about as one that has lots of potential we haven't really seen it and so I think that this home race comes a bit early for him and there wouldn't be any pressure on him to actually go in there and win this race I think that he could always excite the fans with his presence in there Uh, already we know the Miami grand prix is sold out last year was sold out Uh, and you would always expect that with an american in there it would add to the you know the spectacle and so i think that um he may not go in there to actually win the race or even manage a podium finish i think that for for him it's just about making an appearance and making sure that he gives a good account of himself for team williams and so uh, that's it for uh, logan Sargent. i think that he'll be decent but not decent enough to get in with some points
6: we let's shift focus away from the drivers just for a moment and focus on the circuit. Despite last year's frenzy and fanfare when Miami debuted in the Formula 1, there were some concerns raised about the circuit's quality. Fernando Alonso described the track surface as not f standard simply because of the poor grip it served.
8: What has been done to correct these? A lot has been happening on the Miami International Autodrome and ahead of this race we've been told that uh, some changes have been made on and off the circuit. And you can always talk about that event being a sold-out event. Last year, we saw about 250,000 spectators. And you can always tell that when an event is in Miami, definitely the eyeballs will be great. Um, some changes have been done to the team uh, the team village, uh, a bit of expansion as far as the paddock is concerned. Uh, you also talk about the fact that um, uh, the team village is located on the pitch in the stadium. Uh, so you could always expect uh, quite a crowd in there. And then we're also looking at uh, the fact that uh there's been, you know, some major change as far as the paddock club is concerned. Uh so we have uh, um, some changes down to the to the three tier Paddock Club building where we are expecting some 600 guests to be hosted in there, uh, in the premium and luxury suits, um, the premium suits and the luxury rooftop in there. So um, quite some changes in there. On the circuit itself, we've seen some resurfacing or repaving of the entire 3.36 mile layout. Uh, And that's actually done to uh, promote closer racing. Uh, They've also done that to actually open up more overtaking opportunities. And also, there was a lot of complaint about the grip And so it's expected that um, this resurfacing should provide additional grip for the driver. So it promises to be exciting. And we've also realized from the layouts that the DR zone has been shortened. And so these are some of the interesting changes, you know, ahead of this weekend's race. And we are expecting that some of these changes could go a long way to, you know, give us a beauty, give us quite a spectacle in Miami. So... I think that the circuit looks good uh, and it looks decent and much more improved than we saw last season uh for, for for this weekend's race
6: back into the racing now ray and while it's been pretty easy to predict the team to look out for ahead of every race it's been more complex to predict which of the other top four teams will be closest to red bull they have taken turns at it with aston martin leading the way on the opening weekend mercedes followed through in australia before Ferrari did the honours in Azerbaijan. Who can you see taking the baton in
8: Miami? It's been quite an inconsistent start and a mixed bag for Team Ferrari and Mercedes in the course of this season. I think that you look at both teams and a lot was expected from them at the start of the season. You look at Toto Wolff earlier this week talking about the fact that Mercedes have been struggling to revamp their car under the new cost cap and it's been a painful process, he says. You look at the fact that they dominated or they give a good account of themselves in australia and everybody expected that the w14 was going to challenge but you look at what's happened uh, in their last race in azerbaijan and clearly there's a lot of talk about having to you know change a few things on that car mercedes are now considering changing the floor layout um, changing the side port there's, there's a side port uh, concept uh, they're also looking at introducing a suspension redesign all for the Imola race and so clearly Mercedes are in all sorts of trouble. You also talk about Ferrari who themselves have had a very difficult start to the season. Social, Leclerc struggle in the course of the season but finally bounced back in Azerbaijan, uh, picking pole position. Uh, finishing second in that sprint race, finishing third in the race itself. I think that Ferrari would believe they've turned a corner, and so we could always expect some, you know, brilliance from Team Ferrari uh, if they can stay consistent. I think that from what we saw in Azerbaijan, if they can stay consistent, get the team orders right, they have the pace to be able to catch up with Red Bull. You also talk about Aston Martin who themselves uh, have been in the top four as far as uh, the, t- the first four races are concerned. They have been quite exciting, uh, and you would always expect them to go into races week in week out challenging giving it a push so i think that um so far it's been decent it's been decent enough for aston martin and you could only expect fernando alonso to grow in leaps and bounds but i think that uh for the chasing pack, ferrari and um uh, mercedes who themselves uh would have wished that they were in the running for the title i think that they've they've disappointed quite a lot and we'll see how things pan out for them in miami i'm hoping that uh they can have a good run in this particular race
6: Raymond Nyamado is our Formula One expert and joined us with some analysis on that. Football next, and we'll talk the major European leagues in a bit. But the story of this superstar has been interesting to monitor all week. Yes, Lionel Messi would leave Paris Saint-Germain this summer at the end of his current contract. The Argentine World Cup winner had reached an agreement in principle to extend his stay for another year, but neither club nor player uh, now want to sign the deal. Messi is unconvinced the club can compete at the top of the European game due to financial issues, while the French champions...
5: spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time
6: Want to focus on developing the young talent. So what's next for Messi? Remember, he signed a two-year deal in Paris in 2021 with an option to renew for another year, but that will now uh, not be activated. So let's bring in the French football journalist, Loc Tanzi who works for uh, the French newspaper L'Equipe. Thanks, Locke for your time. And you have been at the heart of the story. It's been refreshing to follow you all through. So then, uh, does this truly end L'Eno Messi's time in Paris Saint-Germain?
9: Yeah, I think now we, we, we can say 100% for for sure he will not be a PSG player uh, next season. I think it, will, it would have been the case uh, if even if there will there will not be that 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 big a problem with Messi and this and this trip to Saudi Arabia. But uh, because of this, yeah, the, the the PSG and the club they decided to to end the the, the negotiation for a new contract and decided that he will not be there um, next season.
6: Like Paris saint haven't been as hard on other players for similar indiscretions in the past. So, what has changed in Messi's case?
9: Uh, the, the All the, the people inside the club, they are saying that it's just the, the new way they want to be uh, since one year. They said last year, um, when they they renewed the contract of Mbappe, they talked with him about the new project. And the new project were like, OK, we have to be... Uh, not blinked what they call the bling bling. Uh, it's finished to to just buy uh, the 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 best uh, star, the biggest star in, in the football industry. They want more than than, than the team now. Playing player, they are happy to play with for Paris Saint Germain. So the the uh, of course the season they were not the, the same. Them they want they want it to be. But uh, the the new project is like okay, we have to be with the player. They want to be here. They want to play for Paris Saint-Germain, and they want to win with Paris Saint-Germain. And if you don't want to be like this, if you want to think that Paris Saint-Germain is just a small club and you can like be on holiday when you play for Paris Saint-Germain, this is not going to be the same uh, as as we were before. And this is the first step of of the new project for the people inside the club. They are saying, okay, with that. That, that trip to uh, to Saudi Arabia from from Messi, we can show now to all of the player, even if you are Messi, and to all of the player, if you don't want to respect the rules, if you don't want to be in the team, you're gonna be you're gonna have function like like Messi, and it's not gonna be uh, uh, that it was before.
6: So I think it's a hard one, really. Like, where do you think Messi will be playing football next season?
9: Then, <laughs> it's hard to say. Uh, I think that there's three. Three official proposals so far. Saudi Arabia for sure, uh, Miami for in, in MLS and, and Barcelona. If they have the money, if they find the money to offer him a contract. I think he will he will be happy to be back at, at Barcelona if they're offering a contract. The, the, the problem is that they don't have the enough money and that they, they don't have the solution so far to offer him the contract he wants. So for now. Uh, I would say Barcelona. If they find a solution, if Barcelona is not is not is not um, able to to find a solution, I think he he will go to MLS because MLS is quite is quite good. The, the, the league is is improving every year, and uh, the the trophy he can win in MLS would have more prestige than, than the one in Saudi Arabia.
6: Like, what do you think Messi's legacy of the club will be then, and would he be looking back with fondness or regret?
9: I think I think the fans, they will be happy that, that he will leave the club because for him it's a failure to, to see Messi at Paris Saint-Germain because um, the main goal of Paris Saint-Germain in the, in the last season was to win the Champions League or at least to go to the semi-final of the Champions League. Uh, Messi stays two years at Paris Saint-Germain. The, the two years they, they lost into the round of, of 16 against Madrid and this year. And this year against Bayern Munich, so uh, we, we wouldn't have expected Messi to improve the team and to be one of the best players during those games. It was not the case, so we, we can't say that this is a success.
6: Lord works for the French newspaper L'Equipe with some insight right there. Let's head to Spain now. Still important games to come at uh, the end of the season. Barcelona pushed on with another win, obviously, in midweek and a mightily close one next in a La Liga title for the first time since 2019. Real Madrid drop points in midweek and Atletico Madrid are on the rise. So, with huge insights and a preview to the weekend, we're joined by our Spanish football expert, David Whitworth, who also reports for uh, La Liga side, Real Batiste. Dave, thank you very much for your time on Saturday night. A skillful winger emerged from Barcelona's bench to become the club's youngest player in La Liga's history at 15 years and 290 days old. Tell us about Lamine Yamal.
7: Well, the biggest talking point, George, from this week in La Liga was the debutant of one Lamine Lamal. Just 15 years old, or 15 years young, I should say, playing for Barcelona, He'd become the youngest ever Barcelona player to debut in the senior team. Made his debut against... Well, Betis, it was a comfortable 3-0 win for the Barcelona outfit, and yeah, the youngster played a very, very impressive 20 minutes, nearly scored a goal, had a clear shot on goal, well saved by the goalkeeper Ruiz Silva in the Betis goal, but a fantastic achievement for someone that, at that age, you're normally in bed by that time, or you're doing exams, and he's starving for Barcelona, just the confidence, the natural ability—it's amazing to think that anyone at that age could be playing a match of professional football. Let alone someone playing for Barcelona at the camp now as well. It was quite poignant in the same game that Joaquín came on, who is forty-one, going to be forty-two at the end of the season when he retires. So the polar opposites between the youngest ever player for Barcelona and then um, the oldest player to be playing in La Liga was uh, quite uh, poignant come the end of the the match. When uh, Lamal was born, Joaquin was preparing for his eighth season as a Real Betis player to give some context of just the difference between the two football players. Joaquin, who once again got a thunderous ovation uh, when he came on in the second half. But unfortunately for him, he had to be substituted. The substitute was substituted because he had a, a thigh injury. And Betis' medical staff are hoping that he's going to figure at some point towards the end of the season because obviously it is going to be his final match.
6: Dave, what a huge turnaround for Sevilla, who were 19th before the start of the World Cup but are now high up the table. But obviously in midweek they were surprised by Girona.
7: Well, the cross-city rivals of Real Betis are Sevilla, and Sevilla have been in a really good run of form recently, getting a notable win against Athletic athletic Club Bilbao uh, by a goal to zero at San Marmés, which is a very, very impressive result, considering that not many teams go there and get a win. So Sevilla have, have had a very, very bad season. A lot of the times in the relegation zone, they were 19th going into the World Cup. But the, the new manager, Mendidibar, coming in has brought a lot of cohesion and organization to the team and has taken the team from 19th to 11th in the table. But they suffered a setback in the latest round of matches, going down by two goals to nil against a Girona team that are very much on form at the moment, coming off the back of a 4-2 win against Real Madrid and another impressive win for the Catalan outfit, they could be in the top 10 come the end of the season and a very impressive win because apart from this season Sevilla has always been a a stadium, the Ramon Sanchez-Pituan, a stadium that's a fortress for rival teams to try to get any points, so for Girona to go there and get the win when Sevilla have been in very good form, says a lot about their season as well.
6: And it appears a feeling that Madrid are uninterested in La Liga and very focused on the Champions League seemed to be confirmed by another loss in midweek, Dave.
7: There were more shocks in this round of fixtures. Once again, played during the week to try to fit in all these fixtures between June because of the World Cup hectic schedule. And it was a a win for Real Sociedad against Real Madrid by two goals to nil. Real Sociedad, probably one of the M4 teams, four wins in the last five matches playing very, very good football. They're a team that have got a clear identity philosophy for many, many years, and they are proven it once again. Impressive win against a Real Madrid team that's, let's be honest, we spoke about before, probably um, focused more on the Cup Final and the Champions League, but still nonetheless, to beat Real Madrid is a notable achievement, and it shows the potential and the form of, of the San Sebastian outfit at the moment that they are. they fear no one. And away from home, at home, they're producing some really sterling displays and they are absolutely heavy favourites to finish in that fourth spot and they deserve to be there because they've had a very good season, they've been consistent and I think of all the teams around them, they deserve the place more than anybody.
6: In midweek, Barcelona got the job down and moved closer to winning the title officially. How great was that?
7: Well, Barcelona followed their 3-0 win against Real Betis by having another win at home at the camp now. They have back-to-back home matches, this time against Osasuna, who probably have one eye, maybe two eyes, on the upcoming final here in Seville against, Bar- against Real Madrid. Barca made hard work of it, though. It was the second match in a row that the opposition team had a red card, and Barca had 60 minutes with a man advantage, but only scored late on. Jordi Albert to get a 1-0 win and they're not uh, running towards the finish line but they're they're doing just enough to make sure that they get their first La Liga crown in four years and uh, a comfortable performance overall considering it was just a 1-0 scoreline but nonetheless Barcelona winning, two clean sheets on the trot, six points from six and it's a matter of when and not if they will be lifting that La Liga crown.
6: Dave, obviously there will be so much to play for in these final league fixtures, I imagine. What have we got on the slate there?
7: Well, there was a lot of intrigue in this latest round of match day fixtures. I think coming towards the end of the season, there's always a lot more riding on these matches. And for the teams battling at the top, the teams battling at the bottom, there's always something happening. And that was the case in the Estadio the Mallorca with Mallorca playing against Athletic Club Bilbao, Athletic Club chasing a Europa League of spot, Mallorca trying to finish in the top 10 for the first time in many, many years. And it was a 1 1 draw in the end, Mallorca drawing first blood in this game, Athletic Club scoring a 96 minute penalty from Iñaki Williams to gain a draw in extremis, as they say here, just in the nick of time. And uh, I think it was a fair reflection of the match overall in this one. So both teams come away with a point each. A Mallorca team that will be in La Liga next season, they've had a great uh, couple of seasons under Javier Giri, vastly experienced manager of La Liga, who has turned the club from certain relegation candidates to, yeah, pushing on for for mid-table now. And you can see the club are on the up. They've got a new stadium, or a new stadium, a redeveloped stadium. They're redeveloping all of the current stadium. And it's going to be very, very nice when it's finished, about 25,000 capacity. They're redoing all the stands and outside of the stadium as well, which was needed because the stadium has not seen the best days, let's say, in the last few years. So definitely Mallorca are a team on the up.
6: Thank you very much, David, with what is our Spanish football expert and, of course, reports for Real Batiste joining us with great insights on La Liga. Let's head to Italy and the champions have been crowned. So Lazio delayed Napoli's 33-year wait for a Serie A title by at least another day with victory at home to Solo. But the point Naples needed from the remaining six games was delivered only yesterday and our champions. So let's get in on the celebrations. And now we're joined by uh, our Serie A correspondent Sicho Asrim, uh, who's got a bit of perspective on all that is happening. Sicho, uh, what a road this has been for Napoli is it fair to say, though, that many of the teams we expected to challenge did not quite turn up?
4: Yeah, George, I think, I think just looking at the numbers tells a different story from what it really is. The numbers will tell you that it probably was easy because after Mad Day 33, where they won it or they clinched it, they won 25 games, they've drawn five, they've lost three, they've scored the most goals in the league, they've considered some of the least goals in the league. They've I think, 23 goals. They're the better best defense in the league. They've got 80 points to be good. And also coming the season where Inter have struggled, AC have struggled, Juve have struggled, of course. So when you look at those numbers, you're thinking it was easy. But there were games where Napoli had to be good to win. There were games where their quality was there. But that, but the numbers, as I've said, doesn't necessarily tell the whole story because at the start of the season Napoli in the summer lost all their traditional leaders but De Lorenzo they are, now they are skipper because they lost Ospina their number one goalkeeper they lost Khalidi Koulibaly one of the best center backs in Italian football for the last five years or so they lost their midfield
5: spin your passion into a business of Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout let's hear that one more time
4: Uh, Dries who were banging in goals for them season in season out, were all out of the club. Now, it doesn't matter what club you are, whether you are Real Madrid, Bayern Munich, Man United, Man City, if you are losing players as important as these players, the equivalence of importance as these players were to Napoli, you weaken your team. Unless you've got the budget to replace them with some more quality. By looking at side I do not have that budget to compete on the market. So for, the, for them to lose Ospina, Kulibali, Reese, in Insignia, and go into the next season and go in and win it, it's a miracle. But of course, the players who came in to replace them have also just been outstanding. They've been coached well, they've played brilliantly well. Kim has been a revelation of the season. Zambo Anguisa, Lobotka, who has been around the club at, for some time, but nobody really saw this kind of game in him. He's been a massive under. You know, Luciano Spalletti. When you look at Victor Osimhen, the way he's led the line, Kevin has been superb. His goals, his assists, his streakery, his everything that he's brought into the game. So, yeah, when you look at the numbers, it probably takes the box for thinking that it was an easy ride for them. But when you look at what the team had to go through, missing out on key players, losing key players, and straight away building a new core, building a new spine, and then going and winning the Scudetto, just a remarkable achievement by Napoli and Luciano Spalletti has achieved an, incre- has done an incredible job with the team and I think that in Naples the celebration is going to go throughout till the season ends and even beyond that because this is a historic time the last time this happened Maradona was the player and it's happened again now where they are playing at the Maradona stadium these guys are absolute legends of the club <laughs> their, their names will be inked in gold in, in Naples forever what a remarkable season this has been for Napoli
6: yeah, Cho, the top four race has gotten even more complicated at this rate. How will their coming fixtures this weekend impact and what are the permutations for fans who are
4: a bit on the edge at the moment? Yeah, the top four has gone crazy, hasn't it? And Napoli will just have one hand on their on their cheeks and they'll be they'll be watching the others trying to clinch the other Champions League places. And there are three places for grabs because from second place to to fourth place, it's anybody's, to be fair. It really is. And the midweek games also through threw it into jeopardy I mean, when you're thinking just there that you know Roma will get past Monza and maybe get a result when you're thinking that Milan will beat Cremonese it didn't happen it didn't happen so Milan drew against Cremonese Roma drew against Monza Lazio beat you know Sassuolo Juventus also narrowly getting past you know Lecce see that Vlaovic brilliant finish but what that means is that this weekend is even more crucial okay. because what you look at from second place to from second place to fifth place these are four teams, all of them vying for three positions. That takes them to Champions League next season. And these teams are playing against each other. So we've got a huge game coming up between Milan and Lazio. And the table tells a story where Milan are in sixth place at the moment with 58 points. Lazio are with 64 points. Milan will know that they absolutely need to win to close the gap on that on that top four places. And they play against Lazio. It's, it's a huge game going into this weekend in the in the context of that. Top four races. We've seen Milan where last season they were very much a good counter-attacking side. This season teams have sat off because they are playing Milan, the champions. So Milan need to go down and go on and break them down. They struggled. Lazio as well is one team that is very, very, very careful or very precise when they play. It's going to be a very fascinating game because these two sides would know that winning this game would mean so much. Then there is also Roma and Inter. Roma at the moment have dropped into 7th place, also with 58 points. Inter Milan are in fourth with 60 points, only 2 points separating them. Roma would know that if they win at the Olympico, they get past Inter Milan. And depending upon other results, that means they get into the top four. So this wasn't a huge game. Jose Mourinho playing against his former side, of course, it's going to be a cracker. And Inter now are beginning to rediscover some form for, for the goals for the attackers. Dzeko broke is duck, Lautaro Martinez is scoring, um, Lukaku is scoring. You know, they've got goals in this side. Now, Carnauglo's got a belter uh, over midweek. So, Inter will be confident going into this fixture as well. So, it should be exciting. The the other game as well, that is going to be also fascinating because Atalanta and Juventus, two other teams, who have also got a crack, you know, at the the top four places. Juve already in third place. Atalanta are in fifth. But Atalanta have got some five points behind Juve. They'll be desperate to close in the point because Juve, in their last five CUR games, they've won just one, and that came in midweek against Lech. Juve fans will be hoping that that win then brings momentum and confidence back to the side. Atlanta, however, have in recent time beginning to, began to rediscover the form that they had. So it's going to be another cracking game there. So it's almost as if it's Hollywood stuff. All the teams competing for that top four places. It's almost as if, OK, top four is there for the grabs this weekend, battle it out. So it's going to be fascinating in this Serie a, uh, uh, weekend, especially for the top four places. It should be a cracking, cracking weekend for Talents and Serie a football.
6: Sit your stream is our Serie a expert and join us with some analysis on the show. It's now time to get into the Joy Sports BBC Two Race series. And as always, I had a great chat with my colleague, John Bennett, speaking about uh, the title race between Arsenal and Manchester City currently being controlled. And of course, Ellen Haaland scoring such an important record-breaking goal. And yeah, I hope you're going to enjoy every bit of this. Let's go. Thanks, John, for your time, as always, on the show. And Chelsea's woes continued with a Lancaster defeat to London rivals Arsenal join midweek. Debates the pinpoint reasons for the season struggles have been unending, but one that has taken a lot of precedence, especially after the Arsenal defeat, has been the size of Chelsea's squad. Hi, George. Yeah, it's a big problem. It, it really is. You, you talk to any manager, and I'm sure you've spoken
3: to managers about this, the key thing when you're trying to build team spirit, build morale... Of a squad is keeping the players who aren't playing happy. And in fact, uh, I heard Pep Guardiola talking about this midweek when he was talking about some of the changes that he made, saying he always talks to the players who aren't in the team. I think that's a that's a key factor in in keeping team spirit. When there's so many players in a squad, when you're trying to keep that many players happy, it, it is certain to go wrong, and there's certain to be a disgruntled element in the squad. We've heard about players being forced to change outside the the main dressing room etc so it's always going to be difficult I heard Patrick Vieira talking about this this week as well he says the optimum size for a squad is probably 26 that's probably the maximum players you should have to be working with you can only have 25 in a Premier League squad as well so you know that that, that's a big factor I think in where it's gone wrong for Chelsea this scattergun approach when it comes to recruitment they've got some good players in they haven't managed to get certain players out of the building so it's going to be a massive European summer transfer window for them coming up.
6: With Mauricio Pochettino widely reported to be the new man heading over to the Stamford Bridge what is the most important thing he needs to be changing at the bridge? Identity I think this
3: team needs an identity they need clarity in terms of how they're going to play and I think that is something that Mauricio Pochettino can bring he certainly did that at Southampton certainly did that at Tottenham. didn't do that so much at Paris Saint-Germain, but I think we're learning now that whoever's in charge of Paris Saint-Germain finds it difficult because they have to incorporate all the big stars, the big egos. We're seeing it's going wrong for Christophe Galtier at the moment, and I think there'll be a big culture change at Paris Saint-Germain. So I think I'll give Mauricio Pochettino a pass when it comes to that period of his his career. He did okay; he won the title, um, but but I think. Chelsea need an identity. And Tottenham, when he was in charge, they had a clear identity, a clear way of playing. I'm not necessarily talking about formations, but I'm, I'm talking about style. I'm talking about how they want to approach the game. And at Tottenham, under Pochettino, there was a clear identity and style. And Mauricio Pochettino now needs to bring that for Chelsea. So I, I think he can be a really good fit. Obviously, he comes with the baggage of being an ex-Tottenham manager which I'm sure some Chelsea fans won't like I'm sure the Tottenham fans will be very upset as well I'll be interested to see what reception Mauricio Pochettino gets when Chelsea play Spurs next season but in terms of what I think the most important factor is for the team getting an identity Maurizio Pochettino seems like the, the right man but I stress again they need an amazing transfer window because it's not really about getting players in although they desperately need a striker it's about who they can get out of, the, out of the door because there are some players on some big, long contracts who
6: maybe won't want to leave. John Manchester City striker Erling Haaland broke the record for the most goals in a Premier League season. The Norwegian also scored his 35th league goal of the campaign against West Ham to move past Alan Shearer and Andy Cole's previous best of 34. How good has he been? Yeah, it's incredible. When you think of um, the amount of great players who
3: followed that Shearer-Cole era who haven't been able to get close to this record... Yeah, what, what a performance by, by Erling Haaland. I guess Mohamed Salah is, has come the closest to, to breaking it. Now Erling Haaland has, has done it and there's still games to go for him um, to, to, to score even more goals. What a performance. I think we always knew that Erling Haaland would be a success in the Premier League. Maybe, though, we thought there'd be more. he'd need more time to adapt. Maybe it would be slower pro- progress. I definitely thought he'd score over 20 league goals. Did I think he'd get to 35 league goals at this stage? Possibly by the end of the season, 40 league goals. Well, I'm not sure I did, but we we should have guessed really because Erling Haaland is a proven striker at the top level in the Bundesliga and the Champions League before he came to the Premier League. We know he takes chances and we know that Manchester City create chances. Don't get me wrong, I always thought that Erling Haaland would be a massive success in the Premier League. It's just these numbers, we, we... We should continue to be astonished by these numbers. We shouldn't take it for granted because it's his first year in the Premier League. We know he's a phenomenon, but still, we need to take our hat off to this achievement. It really is incredible in in a first season for a player in the Premier League.
6: Let's get into the battle against relegation and Southampton looks setting to be suffering the drop, which is really surprising because over the last four or three years, They established themselves as a model Premier League club. So what did they do wrong this season? Well, I talked about identity
3: when it came to what Maurizio Pochettino can bring at Chelsea. I think Southampton have have lost their identity. They've got new owners who try to go down a similar but different route. They've brought in a lot of young players, talented young players. But it's always a gamble because when you're trying to gel them together, yes, there's experience there, the likes of James Ward-Prowse. But I think they tried to change things too quickly, too dramatically. Uh, we know that Southampton have already, always been a selling club. When, when they have a player who stands out like a Van Dijk, like a Mane, they, they, they get sold. Um, and maybe that model's been taken too far. But, but I think it was, it was their last European summer transfer window where the problems really came about. The amount of players, young players they brought in, completely transforming transforming the squad going down this model of having young players who can then play well in the Southampton team that they can then sell it, it's not worked out for them and Ruben Celes has got a few improvements towards the end of the season but it's not enough they're going down to the championship and the worry is how how strong will they be next season to be able to come back up I think a lot of people will try and learn from what Burnley have done Burnley with their identity the way they've played their style of play has been sensational uh, but it's going to be very very difficult to re- replicate that and um, yeah they, 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 it's going to be tough for Southampton to next season I think to come straight back up
6: John Samaladice is now in the mix heading over to Leeds yes he goes there with bags of relegation survival experience and with four games left Well, Leeds are just about the drop zone but tied on points with 18 plays Nottingham Forest is it too late for Samaladice
3: it's astonishing, really, uh, for an interim manager to be sacked, for another interim manager to come in. It really is unbelievable, but, but it's panic stations and I guess desperate times call for desperate measures. Big, uh, Big Sam, Sam Allardyce, in terms of his style of play, it's not my cup of tea, I have to say, but you have to respect what he's done in his career and some of his achievements. I mean, you look back to that Bolton team. At times, they were a sensational team. The likes of JJ Okochi, Yuri Chorkaiv and that team. And the teams he's safe from relegation, Sunderland, Crystal Palace, Everton. I think you have to take your hat off to his achievements, even though I'm not a big fan of his style of play. Is it too late? It's going to be very tough. Although I, they could even stay up with just one win. That's how close it is and that's how poor the teams are down at the bottom. But their fixture list is so tough. I mean, Manchester City, Newcastle... West Ham and Tottenham. Tottenham are in poor form, so Leeds at home, that's a chance for them. West Ham, you never know. They're so inconsistent at the moment. They they have a great performance, then a poor performance. But where can you see them getting points out of those games? You can't see them getting points against Manchester City. I can't see them getting points against Newcastle, unless it really is an off day for Newcastle. West Ham potentially, Tottenham potentially, can he keep them up? It's a lottery down there at the moment. Just one win would do it. So it wouldn't surprise me if Sam Allardyce came in and, and saved yet another club.
6: The race for top four is well and truly on with only one spot up for grabs as it looks like Newcastle have snapped up third. Liverpool and Spurs sit right outside its Yes, Some points of Manchester United. But more importantly, it's too late for Liverpool to get in.
3: Yeah, I think it is too late. Despite Manchester United's defeat to Brighton, I still think United are so far ahead that they will get that fourth spot. I think Newcastle will get third. Obviously, we know that the top two will be Arsenal and Manchester City, probably Manchester City top Arsenal second. I think Liverpool just too far away to get in. That defeat against Brighton, it's taken away a little bit of wriggle room for Manchester United, taken away a bit of the margin for error, but I still think they have enough of a points gap to, to feel they're comfortable in fourth place. But I think for Liverpool, it's about ending the season on a high so they get some momentum for next season. I've talked a lot during this chat, George, haven't I, about a big European summer transfer window. It's massive for Liverpool. They have to get those recruitment decisions right, particularly when it comes to bringing in new
6: midfielders. That was John Bennett with the Joyce Sports BBC 2A Series. And
10: of course, it's now time to get a roundup of games to come involving Kenyan players. Here is Razak Muswala with a wrap. Yes, George. But let's start in the Netherlands, where Ghana's Aya and Ayas midfielder Mohamed Kudus has been named in the top five best under-20 dribblers list in the world. Well, the Black Stars midfielder made the list, dominated by some of the best players at the ages of 23 and below, including Real Madrid ace Finishes Junior. Now, according to the CIES Football Observatory, Kudu's ranked fourth in terms of the most dribblers ahead of Real Madrid's Rodrigo Goz and even Arsenal's Bukayo Saka, who ranked fifth and 20th, respectively. Well, for Mohamed Kud himself, he's been on the sidelines for a while now due to injury, but he will look to make a return this weekend when Ayaz takes on AZ Alkama in the search for a Champions League slot which almost look like uh, they just might be missing out, George. Well, and let's go to Belgium now, because Black Stars winger Joseph Pinto has been in some impressive form for Genk this season, scoring 15 times with 11 assists in all competitions for the club. In fact, this is his best performance season since moving to Europe, and also he stands as the the Ghanaian with the highest number of goals across Europe's top, you know, leagues. This season. So he's reading very well and uh, he'll be in action on Sunday in what could be a title decider because his side at atop of the table in Belgium and uh, they'll be taking on second place Antwerp and of course he'll hope to continue his scoring streak as the club look to lift the trophy which they last won uh, some two seasons ago. Now, in the English Premier League, Jordan Ayew, he did chalk a very significant career milestone after scoring his 100th career goal in Crystal Palace, thrilling 4-3 win over West Ham United. Yes, Jordan Ayew made it 100 goals as far as his career is concerned, in that 4-3 win over West Ham uh, last weekend. And of course, Ayu's recent performance have been exceptional, having scored three goals and provided two assists in his last six games since Roy Hodgson took over. And Roy Hodgson himself has been praising Ayu, touting his development and even describing as a player with great skill and one that will continue to impress as the seasons go by. Now, of course, Crystal Palace lie comfortably in 11th place ahead of your Chelsea, George. Ahead of Chelsea, who are uh, placed 12th. Crystal Palace are 11th, and they will take on Tottenham Hotspur this weekend. However, on the flip side, for his brother, Andrea Yu, he, uh, he'll be engaged in a fierce relegation battle uh, with his side, Nottingham and Forest, when they take on Kamadin Suleiman Southampton this weekend. Of course, no, both sides. Uh, Northampton Forest are line 18th and Southampton are line 20th. All of them are in the relegation zone and will be looking to escape it uh, this weekend. So three points are up for grabs this weekend. Antoine Semenyot did score his first Premier League goal for Bournemouth in the uh, trashing of Leeds United last weekend. And just maybe he will find the back of the net again when they face Chelsea. Struggling Chelsea. Struggling Chelsea. But for Daniel Lamati, he's here to make an appearance for Leicester City since the arrival of interim manager Dean Smith. And also with his contract running out at the end of the season, uh, he's been strongly, strongly judged, linked to Italian giants Ace Milan. And we understand talks are even underway uh, between the player and the Italian giant for him to possibly secure a move uh, to the Italian league come next season. Well, Leicester City will play Fulham on Monday uh, we're not very very sure very unlikely that Darren Lamate will make the squad there meanwhile in France Gideon Mancés, Auxerre, uh they are currently line 15th of the league lock they are not in danger of relegation they will be playing 8th uh, placed Clem on foot this weekend and uh, of course uh, Ali Saidu is still out in jet uh, he's not going to be available for his side this weekend over there but George let me just wrap up and in wrapping up, it's Ghana international, Nathan Opoku. Remember this name, George, Nathan Opoku. And he's performing creditably well in the Belgium League. He picked up player of, the month, uh, player of the month for the month of April for Belgian side, O.H. Lover. And, of course, he's been performing creditably well. It's uh, three goals and one assist in the month of April. Ensure that he became the best player for the club. Uh, in the month of April and is one that we need to keep tabs on. Of course, in fact he is on loan from Leicester City as a matter to Leicester City and is performing very well. Hopefully we'll see him in the Premier League playing for Leicester City. I want to see how he fares there. But George, that's it. And over playing for Leicester City. I want to see how he fares there. But George, that's it. And over
6: to you. Athletics next. And Western Texas College student James he set a new national record. In the men's 200 meters event with a blistering 19.79 seconds run at uh, the Crawford Shoutout in Lubbock, Texas, at the weekend. Dazzy shaved off a stunning 0.29 seconds from Joseph Amway's national record of 20.08 seconds set in 2019 and is the first Canadian athlete to ever run under 20 seconds in 200 meters. I spoke to Dazzy after his magical run. Oh, So how have you been going through the last let's say 8 hours or last 10 hours how, how, what's been happening oh it's been really great like
11: I feel very happy though I don't believe I I actually ran that time but I feel really great booking my spot to World Championship because proud to that meet I told my coach that sir look this is the only chance I got I'm gonna take on the double no matter what it takes. I don't know what might work out for me. And I went there, I hit the hundred, and then I had a I really felt bad when the wind was up by 3.2. And then he was like, Do you still want to take the 200? I said, like, yes. I don't know what might happen. I might get a legal win and then work mass. my he said, okay, let's get let's go get a job done. And then it went very well. And then he was surprised, and then we're all amazed that it came to pass that the idea that I brought up really helped and
6: then now I've booked my spot. You did two things in the process, breaking the national record. We'll talk about that. But can you take me through that 200 meters race that you're not going to forget for a long time in your life? I mean, you were in lane eight. That even makes what you did crazy. and um, You had such a crazy finish as well to ensure that you were able to pick it so can you take us through the race I mean tell us what happened from the start take us through it
11: So, oh, you know he said he always tells me like hey James look take care of your business and leave the technical aspect to me so just get a positive mindset when we go there we know what we are going to do you know you are the other lane you are everybody's target this is what we do just run the curve first very hard at your own comfortable pace everybody will be eager to chase you and then when you get in onto the stretch, by that time they've wasted a lot of energy. And then when you kick up again, you're gonna catch everybody on the straight. I know, I believe you. So you couldn't believe he was on the bend right there, right after the tech test from the blocks. He was there looking at me and then yelling at me like, "Hey, go! Do what we do our best and practice." So it was amazing. I really, really appreciate my coach. He's the main reason why we are running so fast. He believes in me and I believe in him. And then we are both working together to achieve our
6: goal. Yeah. Clearly, you realized that you had won the race, but tell me about the moments when you checked the actual time. When I saw 19.79, I
11: wasn't happy. I was checking about the win. Mm. I wasn't able to celebrate because I was thinking about the win. So it was there that the assistant coach came by and said, you had a legal win and then I was very very excited
6: and then I started shouting wow there there were no there were no there were no Minos in that in that race as well I think I was in there as well and you were able to beat him and win that yeah yeah
11: but he always tells me nobody's faster than you on the track just go there do what we do at practice I believe in you That is our mentality. We don't look down upon ourselves. We just go there
6: and then run. What we do, our practice, that is all. Did you ever believe that one day you were going to do 19 seconds in 200 meters?
11: I believed that, but I didn't expect it so early. But now it's in, so
6: we continue from there. And you took down the national record as well. Was that even in sight for you at any point in time? I was aiming
11: at Budapest, non-national record. So when I heard it, oh, okay, it's
6: great. Hmm. And, you, and you spoke about the disappointment of realizing that your was a 9.89 in 100 meters was uh, destroyed by an illegal you win know, of 3.2. <laughs> yeah,
11: I really felt bad. But he said, hey, look, there are certain things that we cannot control. So put that behind you, go into the 200 and
6: then let's do what we do looking at how close you have come you know um to hitting the 10.00 that's the qualification mark for world athletics championships now you qualify for 200 meters are you are you thinking about hoping that you can you can qualify for the 100 meters you feel like it's within your 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 range to just do it everything is possible when we get to the track we do what we do at practice. That is all. When you look back, I I I don't. I'm just trying to see. You you you've barely been in the US because I thought, I think we spoke. Uh, when did we speak? I think at the at the at the end of last year. I'm sure we met at the yeah, end of last year. Back. Yeah. So you have not been in the US for a year, so far as I'm concerned. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so one one one. How surprised are you at the kind of improvements? Because if you look at the times you were you were doing in Ghana versus what you are doing now, like having an it. yeah it's really great
11: just that uh, i believe in myself that i can do it and then when i get opportunity the facilities and i'll just make good use of it because it takes only one moment to change your identity. So if I've gotten here, there's no time for me to joke. Just keep going, keep going, just try the process and everything will be fine. We take it a step by step. We take it a step by step. Now let's see if I can qualify for hundred and then claim my nationals and then we start setting new goals for world championship. So right now I can't say anything about that.
6: Soaking in the American
11: culture. Already you are
6: sounding American, you know. Yeah. <laughs> 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 what's eating a lot of chips or what's what's happening
0: here?
6: <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, uh, Yeah, i There is a saying that when you go to Rome, you do, you do what Romans do. Right. Uh, Romans do, yeah. As <laughs> the new national 200 meters record holder, James And it is now time to find out the key sport events you have to keep an eye on over the weekend. Here is Michelle Quiner. Hello, George. Boxing is rife this weekend. Ghanaian British boxer Joshua Boache takes to the ring tomorrow in a light heavyweight bout versus Powell Stepien. This will be Boache's first fight in 12 months after featuring an only one bout in the entirety of 2022. He reportedly rejected a world title shot against WBA champion Dimitri Bivol last year, but Birmingham hosts Boache's ring return under new
5: management and so maybe new targets and new focus. It's just one to definitely keep an eye on.